Welcome to the Granary Church podcast. We're happy you could join us. For more information on the Granary Church, head to granary.org.au or follow our socials at the Granary Church. It's good to be here tonight. Thank you, worship team. It was such beautiful worship tonight. Uh, it's been a whole day of beautiful worship here this morning up at Maitland. Um, beautiful worship comes through the beautiful worship team, but a beautiful group of worshippers as well. And uh, that's all of us together. So thank you. So tonight, uh, we're almost at the end. We've been going through the book of Luke and looking at the miracles in the book of Luke. And as we look at the miracles in the book of Luke, what we're looking at is not just the character and nature of Jesus as he represents who God is to us. Because as he said to his disciples, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You know what God is like. We're looking at that, but... But more than that, we're looking at what his kingdom, what kingdom is Jesus bringing into our world? What does it mean to actually live in the kingdom of God? Sometimes we can be people who go to church, we can read the Bible, but we actually don't fully engage in God's kingdom, which is what we're called to do. And every miracle shows something about the nature of God and the nature of, of living in his kingdom. And so tonight we are reading from Luke chapter 17, and if you've been in church for a bit, you'll know this story. If you haven't, it may be uh, a new story to you. But I hope that the Holy Spirit will, um, I'm believing that the Holy Spirit will reveal something fresh and new to all of us, as his word always does. And this is the story. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus travelled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Now, just before I read the rest of the story, let me get this in context for you. So we're going back to um, the time of Jesus, and you've got two areas mentioned there. He's, or three, actually. He's, they're going to Jerusalem, and he travels on the border between Samaria and Galilee. So just to, so you know what's going on in this area. There was Israel. And Israel had been divided into two kingdoms because they started fighting with each other and disagreeing. But then there was a time when some of the Israelites were taken into captivity by the Babylonians. And the ones who were left did something that they were told not to do, and that was to intermarry with people of different religions. And those people lived in an area called Samaria. And so that's where the name Samaritans comes from. And you might be familiar with that name. We have part of the ministry of the Anglican Church is called the Samaritans and it's based on this and you may know the um, parable of the Good Samaritan. So here are the Samaritans and they have an area where these people who have a, a faith that's mixed up, okay, and so you've got the region of um, Israel above and Judah below where the Jewish people live and Jerusalem is down here. Now, the enmity between these people is huge. Okay? They really do not like each other and they don't tolerate each other. And in fact, one group believes that God is present in their temple and the other group believes that God is present in their temple. And they both firmly believe that each other is so wrong, they actually don't want to have anything to do with them because they are wrong. They are mean to each other. In fact, at one time, the Samaritans, some of them, the Samaritans took dead bodies and dumped them in the Jewish temple just to be horrible. So sometimes you hear the poor Samaritans, but people are people on both sides, 
and everyone can be equally mean to one another. And that was what was happening here. And so Jesus and his disciples are heading down to Jerusalem. Now sometimes, you've got to picture it, there's like three areas like this, and sometimes they went around the edge just so they didn't have to go to Samaria and encounter a Samaritan. When you hear these stories, you understand why there's other stories. So Jesus meets a woman at a well when he's in Samaria and it was wrong for Jews to speak to women out in public but but no one spoke to Samaritans. So here he is speaking to a Samaritan woman in public. It kind of gets it more in perspective what Jesus was actually like. He is breaking rules. And so they decide to go um, through Samaria and so they're on the border between Samaria and Galilee. It's important to understand that. And they're going along and they meet these 10 men who have leprosy. And they stood at a distance and they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Now, to get these guys in context, 10 guys who had leprosy, there are a lot of laws around people with leprosy and people with leprosy were banned from society. In fact, if they went into a town, they had to have a bell and they had to ring the bell and they had to cry out, cry out unclean and no one would go near them. Their life was in ruins. They couldn't be with their family. They couldn't be with their friends. They couldn't work. They had to be isolated and marginalised. But what's more, they had this dreaded disease and parts of their body would eventually be eaten away, basically. Has anyone ever seen anyone with leprosy? I've been to India a couple of times and been to um, a leper's hospital there. And it's, it's such a sad thing when you see what is happening to people. And, uh, but these people are being cared for. Imagine that you have a disease that is eating away at your body and you are discarded because of it. That's these people. And there's 10 of them and they see Jesus and they cry out, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? And then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Now, when I was looking at this story... I'm reading up about this story. Now, I've heard this story since I was a child. But as I'm reading up about it, what I see some of us can do is to make a law. We love laws, okay? So I, my theory is that Jesus healed people in, a multiple, in multiple different ways because if there was one way that he always healed people, we would make the formula. We want the formula. You know, um, how many self-help books are there? This is the formula for losing weight. This is the formula for being fit, etc. Lots of formula books. And do they always work? The reason that they don't always work is because you can buy a really good book on being fit. You can buy a really good book on losing weight. You can buy a really good book on how to build something or how to cook something or how to make something. But if you don't have something from within, it's never going to happen. How many self-help books do you reckon are on shelves that no one has ever actually achieved? Because the person who wrote the book, it started with this inner passion and then they gave their points. But what they didn't give was how they got that inner passion. And we like to do this as well. We want to come to God and we say, just, just give us the 10 rules. What do we have to do? There was a, a, a rich young ruler who went to Jesus and he basically said, you know, look, I've done all of these laws and Jesus said, actually, you have. So go and sell everything you have and give to the poor. And he couldn't do that because he loved his money. 
So you see, when it comes down to it, no matter how good we are, some of us think because we're really, really good, we have got ourselves right with God and we can live in the fullness of blessing. And when we have that view of ourselves, when things go wrong in our lives, you'll know you think that because then you think, what did I do wrong? Because trouble has hit my life. One day I want to write a book or at least a chapter of a book called The Problem of Being Good because um, I've been pretty good most of my life. I mean, Josh is sitting here. He's my son. He'd probably disagree with that. But I've tried really hard to be good, you know. Like I was the girl who sat in class and if the teacher said don't talk, you just didn't talk. In fact, I liked being good so much that when I was in kindy, I still remember this traumatic experience. Um, I came home one afternoon, went into my bedroom and sobbed and my mum came in and said, what's the matter? I said, I've been... It's worse than I can tell you. It's so bad. She said, what is it? I wouldn't, I wouldn't eat dinner. So um, eventually I went out and I said to mum and dad, I'll tell you what happened. We went for a walk at the, up the hill behind the school and when we're coming back, the teacher said, don't run. And most kids ran and I was one of them. And when we, went, when we sat down in the classroom, she said, the children who ran are very naughty. And mum and dad looked and said, is that the whole story? I'm so sorry. So I was this good kid, okay? I liked being good and I'm still still getting over that, but I believe God's forgiven me. And um, I still remember the look on their faces. They're waiting for and nothing. That's it. That's it. I disobeyed the teacher and I'm ashamed of myself. So I like to be good. And there is a problem with then if you've grown up like that and the comments you get through your life are, you're really good. You realise that you win in life by always being good. And if you fail, that's the end. And truly, your identity can be built on that. And each one of us have an identity built. Some some of you realised that following these rules in school by the first week of kinder wasn't going to work. So you just decided to be naughty. I've taught some of you. One of them actually, when we're at our building was at Tyres Hill. I remember I was on the prayer team one night and a guy came out for prayer and he said, I just need to say sorry to you first. I said, oh, what's that for? He said, for making your life so hard. And I thought, oh, that's right. I do remember. Yes. He said, sorry. Yes. Um, He's now a teacher. So uh, he's probably a brilliant one as well, I would say. And so because we like to um, pride ourselves on following the laws. And I really believe over my life from being good, God has has had to humble me to say, you're not that good. Okay. Because you can be really good, but inside you, you can be proud, selfish. You can think things. You can be proud of the fact that you're good. And we can pride ourselves on that. And then we as Christians can do that as well because we come to follow Jesus and he fills us with his spirit and suddenly we're filled with a new love for people and a goodness and a kindness and we see beautiful things happen. And then after a while, we forget that it's Jesus within us and we think we're great. And uh, I was talking to a friend of mine recently who's not a Christian. In fact, she calls herself very anti-religious. And... um, but we get on really well. And uh, she said to me, well, I like, I like you and Graham because you, you don't try to shove it down our throats. And, um, but she said, but I just need to say, sometimes Christians seem really full of themselves. And um, then she said, because at religious education at our school, the kids came out one day with a lollipop and a sticker that said, I am special. And she thought it meant, I am superior. And I said to her, I know we don't get it always right, but in this case, I know what they meant. They were trying to teach that every child is an individual creation and special in that way and to value how they've been created by God. It didn't mean I'm better than 
the other kids in the playground. But as I, I kept thinking about that after our conversation because I thought the reason she thought that is because often we can parade ourselves around as if we think we're superior. And yet Jesus said, if you want to be great in the kingdom, which we're talking about, you've got to be a servant of all. You've got to be a servant of all. Not just the people you like and not just the people in your church. If you look at Jesus, he came and he was a servant to all people. The marginalised, the ones that, who had messed up dreadfully, the ones who were ripping people off, the tax collectors, the ones who were doing the obvious wrong things and the ones who were doing the subtly wrong things. And he spent time with all of them. So much so that he was criticised for who he hung out with because he was serving them. He was serving them. And you know, the, um, Jesus says in um, John chapter 14, a new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, by your love for one another. And that's our theme for this year, to know the love of God, to love God and to love others and to be known by that. And I just wonder if you are sitting here tonight and you are a follower of Jesus, how would people describe you? Would they describe you as really good or as someone who really loves? Would they describe our church as nice or people who really love? Because that's how people know that we are his disciples. And it can sound fluffy, but once you actually really start to love people that you disagree with, who don't like you, who are very different to you, who see the world different to you, differently to you, and you look at the one that we follow, Jesus, who gave his life on the cross for all of us, all of us, with all our mess and our pain and our disagreeable natures, and he loved us all enough to give his life for us, we realize that we are following one who has called us to lay down his life to serve others. And if people think that we think we're superior, we're not de demonstrating the one that we follow because we realize that we're not. And so when we look at um, this, this story here, there's three things I want to bring out here. The first thing is the laws of the kingdom of God, that those who cry out for mercy receive mercy. And the thing about these guys here is that it's not just about the miracle, it's about what happens when the kingdom of God comes into the world, that things turn upside down and you see health and well-being and justice and salvation and beautiful things happening in the kingdom of God just because Jesus is present and there are hearts who are ready to receive. You've got to remember that Jesus was present with a lot of people but not everyone wanted to receive from him. And who does Jesus talk to most of the time who are ready to receive from him. So it's significant that he is now on the border of Samaria and Galilee, the back blocks where actually no one wants to go. And what do you have out in the border of Samaria and Galilee? Ten people who have lepers who nobody wants to know. And what is common amongst them is the fact that they've all got leprosy, but there are differences. As you see, one of them is a Samaritan. So the Jews and Samaritans who would never hang out together They've been rejected by society, so it's no point sticking with your own group because they don't want you. And so the only people they get to hang out with are the other lepers. So the Jews and Samaritans are together on this. And what these guys have in common is that they are desperate. And so what we tend to do with this story is this. This is that the laws of the kingdom of God is this, that when Jesus comes in with desperate people, who actually understand their, their reliance upon him, that we're all broken individuals, we're all different, we all see the world differently, but when we come together understanding that we need to rely on him, he is, allowed, he is able to come into our lives and do something miraculous. And you know, our world currently, 
and has been for centuries, is full of division. And we know that there's division in Russia and Ukraine. We know that there's division in other countries of the world as well. We're about to have an election next week as well. And people will go to the polling booths and there's something about us that always thinks we're right. And so the party that you will vote for, you think you are right. And if I asked you to stand up now and stand in little groups around the room and say who you're going to vote for, and you get together with the ones you're going to vote for the same party, and you'll think, yeah, we're right. The others are bad. In fact, I've even heard some people say, how could you be a Christian and vote for such and such? I said, Christians do vote for such and such. Really? Isn't that interesting? Because I was listening to um, Andy Stanley, pastor in America, who was saying in his church, in a lot of churches in America, that there's a huge divide between Republican and Democrat. And uh, he had so many emails and phone calls about this. And he said, I have to remind them that the American Constitution says we are one nation under God. And we have to remember that too. We're one nation under God and we come together around him, around the unity that comes in Jesus. And sometimes we are so full of ourselves and the rules that we make that we miss what Jesus is doing. We create our rules and we think this is the right way to do it. And then we come to denominations and we create our rules and we think this is the right way to do it. And so we go to another denomination and we see how they do it, (laughs) gather together for worship and we think our way is better. And your form is not better. When I was in the uh, late 70s and early 80s, I was actually in a band. And this uh, group of mine, we used to go around to different churches and um, youth groups. And and because of that, sometimes we're in in church services. And um, I got to experience for the first time in my life. So I was raised in the Anglican church. I was in a, um, a uniting church youth group, had a big outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So I sort of experienced that much. Then I got to go to a whole lot of different denominations. And um, it was fascinating seeing how different people gather together to worship and, uh, and how we can feel so superior because of our way of worshipping. Is anyone here from a Salvation Army background? No one. Well, my first experience, I'd never been in a Salvation Army church and we went and sat in this church for a night service that we were playing in. The first worship service started, first song started and there was a brass band up the front and they started playing and in the front row was the timbrel girls and they jumped up and faced us all and did this amazing routine of timbrels and then they sat down and uh, they had straight faces. <laughs> and We almost laughed, which was very rude, but we didn't. And I saw all these different ways that people worship, and I realized the church, every little group thinks that they're right, and we divide by that. And so we make up these rules. And what I discovered as I was preparing for this, that even this story, people want to make a rule out of it. And the rule is, and I read so many people saying, basically, they didn't write it like this, but they almost do. And the rule is for this that you've got to give thanks. That's the rule. And you don't want to be like the nine out of ten who did did didn't give thanks. You want to be the one out of ten. And as I'm reading, I'm thinking, yes, this is good, but there's something deeper. This, this, we've just made another rule out of it. And the rule can become like this. Have you ever seen a child, and it might have been you as a child, where your parent says, say sorry? And you go, sorry. Because you really don't mean it. But you know, if you don't say sorry, you're going to be in trouble. And so you say sorry. And I read a story of a little boy once where he was in trouble and the teacher said, stand up. And he stood up and he said, I'm standing up on the outside, but I'm sitting down on the inside. And so we can be like that. You know, I can say to you, the rule is you've got to be good and the rule is you've got to give thanks. But the thing is, this story is not about a rule of giving thanks because Jesus didn't tell him he had to come back. 
And he actually doesn't come back and immediately give thanks. He comes back and he praises God and gives thanks. And this is, this is key to understand. There is not a rule that Jesus said, hey, guys, did you remember, anyone remember to say thanks? And they come back and shake his hand. It's not that at all. And we sometimes try to turn it into that because we want to know the rules and get them right. But what happens here is that this guy, this Samaritan, who is not a Jew, who's not following the laws, who in the Jewish eyes, remember this is Jesus who is, with, who is Jewish talking to him, this guy really doesn't know anything at all. He's not a good law follower. He's a marginalised person and he hasn't been raised in the Jewish faith and in their eyes he's got it all wrong. But something comes out of this man that without anyone saying you should return, he impulsively turns and falls on his face before Jesus and no one asked him to. And this is why this is so important for us to understand. He wasn't following a rule. Something profound was happening in that man. And Jesus says to him, your faith has made you whole. Now this word whole, so you could say, well, didn't he heal the others? So what happened with the others, with all of them actually? He doesn't actually heal them. He says, go and show yourself to the priest. And as they went, they were healed. So they actually did have faith and they did step out and they had to go to show themselves to the priest because the priest had the role of checking if someone actually was free from leprosy and giving them permission to go back in society. So this was really important. This was part of their laws. And so Jesus says to them, go, show yourself to the priest. And as they obey him, they are healed. And they go off and they show themselves to the priest. But these guys, I believe, are so entrapped with following their laws that they miss on their divine encounter with Jesus. And they're healed. But they miss out on something profound. Their bodies are healed. But this one guy suddenly realises this is more than just giving thanks. And he falls at the feet of Jesus and praises God. And Jesus says, your faith has made you whole, which means that this word for the wholeness is not just his physical healing, it's his, his healing of his soul. It's the salvation of his soul. He has a profound experience with God and it comes from recognising his nothingness before God. You know, sometimes I recognise my nothingness before God when everything goes wrong. And I cannot control the situation any longer. Has anyone else ever had one of those situations? And you look and you beg God and you plead with God to do something. And he doesn't do anything. And you keep telling him how he should do it. And then I get to the end of myself and God reminds me this. You gave your life away to me. You gave your life away to me. And will you trust me with your life? with the good and the bad, you gave your life away. And I feel God has to keep bringing this back to me over and over again because I still try to pull it back and say, no, it's mine, and I really want you to do it this way. And I even say to God, not literally, but in my mind I say things like, haven't I done this and this and this for you? Which means, haven't I been a good girl? Can't you do this for me because I've been so good? But it's when I get to the point of saying, of realising that I gave my life, I actually gave my life to Jesus. And you need to remember this, when you become a follower of Jesus, it's not just about being good, it's about surrendering, giving your life to him, being filled with him and living for him. It's a big call on your life. But what you find is that when you do that, you do what this man does. It's a posture. He falls on his face before Jesus 
and he praises God and he gives thanks. And I believe the others went away and they missed God. They got, they got something great and I believe a lot of people can sit in churches and they can get something great but they miss out on this profound relationship of being with Jesus which actually transforms everything. And, and, I, and I think that that's why sometimes people fall away because um, they loved what was happening but when everything went wrong, um, they missed that they're actually experiencing Jesus. It's this praise response that makes all the difference. And he comes and he falls on the feet and his feet before Jesus. And I don't believe Jesus was disappointed that they didn't come and give thanks. He was disappointed that they, the opportunity didn't bring them to praise God. And I believe for each one of you tonight, God is bringing an opportunity for you to praise him. Some of you may have experienced abundant blessing and you just think it just happened. But there is a Father in heaven who loves you. Some of you may be here tonight, you don't even know if you believe in God yet, but even in the Bible it says God loves everyone whether they believe in him or not. And it says the, the sun shines and the rain falls on everyone, the good and the bad, because he loves everyone. Once I had a student who said to me, um, this was when um, the... Uh, there was the Twin Towers and the, the planes flew into them. And the, someone, one student said to me, some of those people, because this, this kid wasn't a Christian, he was a bit aggressive, and he said, what do you think? Some of the people who jumped out of that building were probably Christians, you know. I said, they probably were. And he said, well, why didn't God just, you know, kill the others? And I said, you know, I've got four kids and... Um, I don't bless them because of how good they are to me. I bless them because I just love them. I just love them. And God is the same with you. If you're here tonight and you're not yet a believer in God or a follower of Jesus, he loves you. And he has blessed you already in your life. But you can have even a more profound experience where you actually come to know him and be filled with his Holy Spirit. And he changes you from the inside out. He walks with you and talks with you. You will hear him speaking to you. He will transform your way of thinking. You will start to see the world differently and people differently. And you'll have the kingdom of God living within you. And this is a profound experience that can happen to everyone. And it doesn't matter how smart you are. It doesn't matter what your religious background is. When I was a child, my, my dad prayed with, with me and my sister in the evenings. And we usually prayed prayers off by heart because of the traditional church that we were in then. But I remember lying in bed one night as a little girl, probably about six or five, and, and saying to God, I really love you, Jesus, just in the dark and night. And I had this profound experience of the love of God filming, filling me to overwhelming, overwhelming. No one had ever taught me that. I didn't grow up in a church where you came and gave your life to Christ or anything. It's just happened. And uh, when I woke up in the morning, I could still sense Jesus with me and when I got out of bed it was like he was walking next to me it can happen to anyone it's the most beautiful thing and just at the end of this story it says this so you have this whole story about the lepers and then it says now when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come he answered them and he said the kingdom of God does not come with observation nor will they say see here or see there for indeed the kingdom of God is within you the kingdom of God does not come with observation. And you can be someone who um, comes to church and you observe beautiful things. You can hear great testimonies. You can see people who love God. You can be a recipient of kindness of people and prayer for people. And it can be observation. 
And that many of us can live with observation. You know, you can be followers of a great football team and you can see them win and you can almost feel like you win, you won, but you didn't. You were just observing. You know, I like to play football, not very well, with Silas, my little grandson, and he can tell me what happened like in the last night's game and what Ponga did and how he pushed someone aside and he ran here and then he runs off and I have to chase him and he's currently getting way too fast and he's getting better than me at football. I'm sure you're all incredibly surprised at that. And, um, but at the moment he's still observing. He's still observing. And one day he'll be in the game. And I'd like to say to some of us here tonight, might be observing. And God is inviting you to come in the game. And there's a, there's a big price to pay. It's you give your life away. But when you give it away, he fills you with his Holy Spirit and he breathes real life into you. It's called eternal life. And eternal life doesn't just mean um, never-ending life. It's a different quality of life. Because eternal life is not about time. It's about real life. It's about the life of God which comes in you. And so it says the kingdom of God is actually within you. You'll see, see in our, the mission statement for our church is this, to build the kingdom of God within, among and beyond. And it's, it's, it's very intentional that we did that. Because you can't build the kingdom of God amongst us with a whole lot of people unless everyone has the kingdom living within them. And to know that, if you were raised in Sunday school, you would have sung a song that said, Joy is the flag flown high from the castle of my heart, for the king is in residence here. Now, if you don't know what that means, say if you go to England and you go to Buckingham Palace or Windsor Castle and the flag is down, it means the queen is not at home. And once we were over there sitting in this little cafe next to... Windsor Castle and as we were sitting there having our coffee the flag went up that was really exciting because it means the Queen was in there and uh, we were all really excited we didn't see her but we just saw the flag go up but it means the Queen is in residence but imagine if we're in there and it's like this when the King lives in your heart something changes it means that he you has become the Lord of your life and the, the flag of your life is joy that's how you know he's in your heart and the joy will be in the good times and the bad times. It doesn't mean you won't cry. You will cry. It doesn't mean you won't feel hurt. You will. But you have this one who dwells within you that you go to all the time, who gives you this confidence that he does work everything together for good for those who love him, that he never gives up. We've been singing about it tonight. And the reason we sing about it is to remind ourselves over and over again of this eternal truth, that I gave my life away to him and he will, his love will never give up on me. I will go through good times and bad times and his love will never give up on me. And so what I'd love us to do tonight is to examine our response to God and to say, who would I be like? Not make a law of it, but would I be one? Am I one who just receives the blessing of God and just goes on my own little way? Or am I one who, when I see the blessing of God, I praise God and thank him? What is your immediate response? Not what law are you following, but what is your immediate response? And so I want to lead us in a prayer of examine, not examination, but examine, and it comes from St. Ignatius from the 16th century, just where you can have some time to allow the Holy Spirit to search your heart and where you can invite the Holy Spirit into your heart and you can have the courage, if you want to, to say for the first time or again, I give my life to you. It's such a wonderful thing to give your life away, but you do have to trust him in the good and the bad times, with this understanding that he works all things together for good for those who love him and his love will never fail us. And so I just invite you to close your eyes. There's just a few little 
aspects of this prayer that we'll go through, and it's just purely between you and God. Firstly, Father, we acknowledge your presence. Acknowledge your presence in this room tonight. We acknowledge your presence with us tonight. And we say, come Holy Spirit. And if you want to, you can say, come Holy Spirit, fill me afresh tonight. Fill me afresh. And we ask you for the grace to see you in all things. Ask yourself, where do I see you in my home? Where do I see you? And I thank you for the people in my life, for my family, for my friends. Thank you for the people that you've brought into my world. Where do I see you in my daily chores, in my morning routines, my evening routines? Where did I miss you, God? Where did I miss your presence? Where do I see you as I drive around in the day's comings and goings? The small conversations, the smiles, the laughs, the creation, the rain and the sun, the beach, the rivers, the green grass from the rain, the trees and the birds that sing at night and sing at the morning, the homes that we live in, the food that we eat, the provision that we have, the jobs that we have, the money that we have, the fun that we have, the comfort that we have. Where did I see you, Lord, in these things? Where did I miss you? And I come before you now and I acknowledge your goodness towards me that even when I don't ask for these things, you provide for me. Even when I didn't realize you existed, you were providing for me. Even when I forget to pray, you answer before I even ask because you are with me. And we thank you, God. Think of your last day. Think of today with gratitude. And gratitude for everything. Gratitude for the good and the bad. Gratitude for the difficult people who weren't called there to serve you, but you were put there to serve them. And ask God, who have you put in my life who is difficult, different to me, thinks differently to me, believes differently to me, and you've put me here to be like Jesus to serve them, that their life might be good. Ask God who that person is tonight. Remind ourselves that like Jesus, we didn't come to be served, but to serve. And now think of a consolation and a desolation from today. A consolation is something great, and a desolation is something difficult, something draining, something sad, something troubling. And as you pray about that desolation, I encourage you to thank God for that. That desolation will remind you of your frailty, remind you of your inability to do things properly, remind you of your need to be filled with the love of God for someone else, remind you of your brokenness, remind you of your inability to be good in your responses to all people. We thank you, God, for the difficult things of this day and we lift them to you and we say thank you. Thank you because we acknowledge your sovereignty in our lives. And you do work all things together for good. We thank you, Lord. And we live, give our lives to you for this week and we pray, fill us with hope that everywhere we go, we may be people who are filled afresh with your spirit. And we look at the others around us and we realize that you have placed us here to love them. 
and that we would love you in the way we love others. And we thank you for life itself. And we thank you for eternal life. That we have the privilege as we give our lives to you to live with you for eternity and to rejoice with you for eternity and that joy will be the flag flown high on the castle of our hearts because you are in residence here and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our Sunday podcast. If you enjoyed it, either subscribe or follow on the podcast app that you use to keep up to date on when our next Sunday podcast gets released. Have a safe and blessed week.